It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. We're so excited to have you with us today. What's new in your world, Jameson? We are pumped. Uh, my wall behind me is orange, and it used to not be orange, so I'm pretty excited about that. Did you just wake up one morning and... <laughs> just the paint gremlins. Did you call the cops? The, yeah, I actually asked them to paint the wall, and then they did it. <laughs> they were so helpful. If you didn't know that, you can just call, you can call them, and they'll just do like odd jobs around the house for you. <laughs> Protect and serve. Yeah. <laughs> I knew they would get cats out of trees, but painting your house, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> don't use 911 for that though oh. that's a non-emergency for sure yeah yeah well unless you have guests coming over <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's the big dinner with with the joneses that we have to impress quick <laughs> all right this will be well. the death of us in the social <laughs> circles <laughs> it'll be a social murder <laughs> oh gosh i'm glad that's uh, not my life all right so we have a couple of great questions today Uh, Jameson, would you like to read the first one? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, no. My lack of preparation has been exposed. There's a name in here. Hang on. Emilio Srugo. That's it. Okay. Apologies, Emilio. (laughs) From listener. (laughs) I apologize for Jameson. (laughs) (laughs) From listener, Emilio Srugo. How do I write a great resume? How should an effective resume be written? Do the interviewers or HR people uh, like an applicant with a beautifully designed PDF? Do they care about what I do for my evening activities, etc.? Great question, Emilio. So, when was the last time you wrote a resume, Jameson? Uh, certainly not for my last few jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a little you're a little rusty. Is what I'm gathering. <laughs> I'm I'm an expert on this. just like everything (laughs) i so i guess for my 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 cred on this i've reviewed many resumes Um, nailed it (laughs) i've i've read several hundred i don't know thousand hundred you're an an armchair resume writer (laughs) yeah so i i know what the experience is like on the other end as a person looking through them and having my eyes glaze over I'm, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I, I have not updated my resume since 2011, I think. Maybe 2010. And that's why you just haven't worked since then. I've been unemployed for six years. <laughs> because of that. Just kidding. The, so the, the, the witty subtext here is that uh, to some extent, resumes don't matter. They certainly do in some cases, though. Maybe we should talk about that. When, when does it matter? Cause you can, you can get to a place where no one will care about your resume. I think it matters when you're not a software developer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Very true. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just was extending the joke. Uh, <laughs> so the, the question, Emilio asks specifically, do HR people uh, think that it's an advantage if you have a beautifully designed PDF or do they care about your evening amusements and things like that? Um, I do believe that Emilio is onto something here with HR people because I think other engineers who are reading your resume are going to be a lot less interested in your evening amusements and your like formatting and design of your resume. But HR people might, right? You think that's possibly true, Jameson? Yeah, but even larger than that, 
sometimes HR people will have a say over your resume and sometimes they, they won't. So if you are applying at a large company where you don't know anybody and nobody's kind of recommending you or pushing you along the, the hiring pipeline, then most likely in the large company, the people looking at your resume won't be tech people for the first pass. Um, mm -hmm. some, some people or some companies might do it this way, but there's generally some kind of screening where the HR people have a list of open positions and some keywords, and then they just kind of match them up. And also they might check for spelling and does this, is this written in crayon? Does this person, <laughs> uh, seem like a crazy person or a non-crazy person? So at, at that point, your formatting matters, kind of matching matching what they're looking for matters a little bit. Uh, but I would argue that is not a situation you want to be in when you're applying for jobs. Yeah, I think what, what you're saying kind of through the line, reading between the lines there is that uh, if you're applying for a job and you don't already have some kind of recommendation or in, you're probably at a disadvantage going into it. Yeah, I, I was doing just some rough calculations and I might have read, I don't know, like a thousand resumes at, at my previous job in the past few years. And I believe we hired one person who came to us from a resume and that was our only contact with this person. Mm -hmm. um, we got maybe 50 to 100 kind of personal references or recommendations from existing employees. And we probably hired 10 to 15 of those people. So the, at, and at least at the company that I was at previously, the, the odds of just making it through the resume gauntlet are very low. Even if your resume is amazing, uh, you're still competing against people that have personal recommendations, yeah. which pushes, yeah. it, it puts you at a different level. That's a good point. So I, I just remembered some crazy research that my data science team did about resumes because at my current company, we actually have access to hundreds of thousands of uh, resumes and we have job hire outcomes. Let and me they, let me give a disclaimer here. Dave is speaking officially for <laughs> no, this. No. Oh, 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 wait, sorry, I read that wrong. All 100% personal opinions do not reflect the views of his employer. <laughs> But yeah, that's true. You you do work at a place that uh, yeah. kind of cares about resumes in the hiring process. So we have three data scientists and they wanted to know how predictive is a resume to getting a candidate hired on the job. And so we did our typical thing where we divided a pool of randomly selected candidates into halves, one control group and one actual group. And then we trained a machine learning model on bag of words and a few other features from resumes. Uh, and uh, we were actually able to develop a predictive model that would predict like with i can't remember what the number was it, you know f uh random prediction would be 50 50 you know higher no higher and i think we got it to like 60 40 from just resume in other words we could tip the scales uh of prediction to 60 percent chance of higher at least with that amount of confidence based on the content of a resume um, which was kind of interesting so they are predictive of higher a little bit that's a pretty weak level of prediction though <laughs> yeah um i mean like you said better than 50 50 but uh yeah definitely not super accurate oh yeah i mean we're not talking about like classification models that can take like an image and say it's a dog you know those are like 98 percent at this point or something they're like superhuman but yeah resume prediction was much much lower yeah 
And this is all from memory. <laughs> I, did not, I didn't even look up the, the research at all. Anyway. Is, is this publicly available? I think so. We've talked about it at some meetups and other presentations. So Okay. Yeah, maybe if we can not, maybe I'm we probably going to go link. to jail. And I'm sorry, I won't be able to do the podcast <laughs> from my prison cell anymore. <laughs> hey, Mr. Warden, can, can, can I get a microphone in here? We'll either put a link to it in the show notes or a link to the GoFundMe campaign for Dave's <laughs> legal defense. For my bail. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry no no that's fine so i feel like this is kind of the preamble which is that no matter what we say get a get personal um references get some contact even if it's just emailing someone with an at whatever company.com email address and, and just some contact to put you uh in a different category than just the giant stack of resumes because that's yeah that's a really tough place to get through the other interesting thing is that most companies these days for software developers, they don't have a giant stack of resumes. Sure, Google does and Facebook does and other of the big tech giants, but most of most tech companies or companies where you would apply as a software developer, they don't have mountains of resumes for software developer applicants. You know, when was the last time you heard a software developer recruiter say, oh man, the hardest part of my job is sifting through all these resumes, all these applicants to find the good ones, right? No, the, the hardest part is getting people to apply at all. So suddenly your resume isn't really a differentiator because they're just hoping people will apply for their job. <clears throat> hmm. That's been my experience. Um, I would say we definitely got applicants, our impression of them, which could be wrong, but just from the resumes was they were on average pretty low quality. But but we definitely had a shortage of, yeah. of, of uh, people that we were interested in hiring. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I will totally agree with that based on my experience as well. The, uh, yeah, the, one, the people that we sought out and found and asked them to apply were generally of higher quality than people who just randomly showed up at our web, on our web form and attached their resume. Yeah, that's a thing that I think Joel... Splowski. See, I can't. It's not just your name, Emilio. It's any human being's name. <laughs> I don't know his, how to say his name. Famous, famous Joel. We'll call him that. Famous yep. software blogger Joel person. Uh, he has a blog post about hiring and how, just by definition, the best engineers uh, rarely are submitting resumes to jobs because they get recruited and pulled away by friends or, or recruiters or whatever. Yeah. Whereas the people that really struggle and get laid off a lot or have switched jobs all the time because, because they're, they're having problems, those people submit tons of resumes because they're on the market more often. So his, his argument was that just opening up your job process to anyone to apply will yield more people uh, that have problems doing good work than than the kind of rock star engineers or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know how true that is, but it, it seems like some of his points kind of make sense. I think so. So um, in my experience, uh, the most important thing you want on your resume is, uh, well, I don't even know if this is true. Your name, Dave, <laughs> duh. <laughs> 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 i killed him <laughs> yep okay number two <laughs> our two chief weapons <laughs> the number two is uh like oh, i don't even know if this is true jameson but i'm just gonna say it stupid freaking buzzwords St something that a recruiter is likely to type in and find you with 
Um, because it turns out these resumes, your resume gets leaked basically all over the internet and there's all these different directories that host resumes and parse them and index them. And if your resume says Java and these people are looking for a Java developer, you're more likely to be found if you mention it. So I think it's important that you have the little buzzword section and sometimes I'll even label it. This is the buzzword section. <laughs> no. So that like normal engineers can just skip over that part and get to the part they care about. So there's one thing. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, Oh man, it's so bad. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think because I, I'm, I'm trying to think through resumes that I remember and I can't, they just all blur they all, together. Yeah. They yeah. all sound the same. They look the same. I mean, there's, there's super obvious advice, like have correct grammar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man. This. Okay, let, I'll tell you what, we're, we're really struggling here. Let's just go to the exact question. Do they care about my evening amusements? Jameson, I'm going to say no. I no, also they say don't. No. Nope, not important. Uh, I have an engineer friend of mine who puts rock climbing and mountain biking on his resume. And, I, and I've known him for 10 years. And I said, I don't think you, I've ever heard of you rock climbing or mountain biking. <laughs> Why did you put that on your resume? And he, and he goes, someone told me I was supposed to look well-rounded. <laughs> He's like, I rock climbed once. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, no, useless. <laughs> I don't think it's important. But what's funny is that for everything we say here, there's going to be someone somewhere that says, no, that's the most important part of the resume. You know, mm-hmm. like the, if mm-hmm. he didn't have mountain biking on that resume, I would have never said yes to a hire. Yeah, some yeah. company that believes very strongly that their employees should be well-rounded and that they want resumes to reflect that. Yeah, that's true. So the meta advice is make a contact at the company you want to work, and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> uh, we'll figure the, out what their values are. The other maybe. question is um, a beautifully designed PDF. And I would say this absolutely helps, which is so funny because you do not need to be able to beautifully design a PDF to be a good software developer. But hmm. pe- people are just, I don't know, people like looking at pretty things. I like looking at pretty things. I was going to say this doesn't help because uh, it's it can be a little distracting. Like I find myself once in a rare while, I get this amazingly beautifully designed PDF. And you know what it says to me? I care about fluff. Isn't that weird <laughs> that, I, that I get that message? It's like, that is why did this why did this person put in so much time to this? Like, I just want the content, and I want it to be easy to read. Now, I guess there's a difference between beautifully designed. Well, it sounds like, like you're talking over about the top. yeah, ornately <laughs> kind of distractingly designed. Yeah, I guess but, I read, I may have misread more into that question. But I think there's definitely something to be said for having a well designed, good looking resume that is yeah. different from just the template you get in Word or whatever. Oh, really? See, I don't think... I kind of would rather have everyone just follow the same template so I can jump to the information I care about. Really? <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Dave's advice in practice. <laughs> I, I think it would help you stick out a little bit. It, it might. It might. Um, when I'm reading a resume, I'm really just looking for a couple of things. The first one is, how long have they been a full-time developer? And this helps me set my expectations for when I interview them for what level of experience I should be interviewing for. You know, like if someone's been working as a developer for 10 years, I'm going to expect a depth of knowledge that I'm not going to expect from someone who just got out of a boot camp last week, you know? And so I, I'm jumping for that information. I'm like, okay, trying to get a rough feel for how many years they've been working. Um, 
And then the other thing I'm looking for is like, what kind of companies did this person work for? Is it uh, stuff that's interesting and and relevant to what I'm working on or looking for? Or is it, you know, is this kind of the kind of person who punches a clock every day? Or are they like central to the team? You know what? I just want to know a little bit about them. Um, it, I can find all that out in the interview, but sometimes it helps to know. You so. did mention what kind of companies do they work for? And I think that's fair to talk about that there are companies that if you have them on your resume, it's just kind of a magical stamp that says interview this person uh, for better or for yeah. worse. Yeah. So, so yeah, basically the big tech companies, you, you, you get this aura of competency yeah. just from having worked there. I, I want to make sure we talk about what the point of a resume is. Cause I don't think we ever said that. And to me, the point of a resume is to get you a job interview and that's, that's its main purpose. And that's a good point. So everything that we're talking about here is, is kind of, how do I write a good resume so that I can get a job interview? And then once you're in the interview, there's a bunch of other stuff that I don't think is, uh, that related to your resume. I think the resume, like you said, Dave can be a source of topics to discuss, but um, if someone gets an interview and then they interview well, but the resume is bad, no one will care at all. It, it won't matter at all. Yeah, true. Good point. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've basically said it's just not that important to have like a really great resume, right? Is that kind of the crux of what we just said? I think so. That's how I feel. Let, let me give you an anecdote about this. I recently went through a job interview cycle a couple of months ago, and uh, I went through that whole thing with a five... They The company had a five-year-old resume for me. It didn't even have my current employer on it. And, and I kept telling them, just go to my LinkedIn profile and use that instead. And then I realized after the interview, my LinkedIn profile was private. They couldn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I'm like, wow, I just did a whole interview cycle, got a job offer... And they couldn't even see the last five years of my work history or even an up-to-date resume. And I thought, huh, yeah, I guess it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But you, you're also the great and powerful Dave Smith. Yeah, they were like, oh, Dave Smith. Oh, my gosh. Let's usher you in through this secret side door. And then, and then I told them, oh, no, I'm a different Dave Smith on Wikipedia. And they're like, <laughs> oh, there's like 37 of you. Sorry, I picked the uh, World Wrestling Federation guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they all looked so physically intimidated. <laughs> yeah, they were like, yeah, exactly. Man, I didn't, he doesn't look that strong, but it says here <laughs> that he body slammed somebody from the top ropes. So I guess I should be scared. <laughs> exactly. Then you tell him it's the cargo shorts. Those are the secret <laughs> to your power. Uh, one, you one more thing I want to talk about here is we've talked so much about the role of personal recommendations and this does have some downsides. I mean, if you really want to work somewhere that you don't know any any people, it's going to be a little tricky. And, and then your resume will take on larger importance. But still, just because you don't know someone now, like get to know someone and that'll still be a lot better. Another wrinkle is if you only hire based on personal recommendations, you can end up uh, hiring a lot of people that look like the people that already work there. Mm -hmm. which can lead to um, some, some pretty severe diversity problems. Not necessarily yeah. because people are discriminating. It's just if you are a white male software engineer and a lot of your friends are white male software engineers and, and you ref 
kind of refer your friends, you're, you'll just by default refer people that are like the people you know. And, and uh, so even though we've talked so much about personal recommendations, I, I wish it were different because it would have some advantages, but that's just kind of yeah. the way of the world. Good point. All right, question answered. Question answered. All right, Dave, do you want to read the next question? Yeah, sure. This came in from a Twitter uh, listener named Sam Spot. And he says, I am a senior developer and I am often asked to spend time on PowerPoint presentations for funding and other business stuff. I want to ask why the managers and analysts can't handle these tasks. I find them to be a frequent distraction from my actual responsibilities, especially because these are so frequently, air quote, emergency requests. Should I push back on this work or is it better to be a team player? Thanks. Love the show. Now, I I just assume that every question implicitly ends with thanks. Love the show. (laughs) So uh, thank you, Sam, for making that explicit. And also you're kind of demonstrating the etiquette, right? How's that? Like you should end with thanks. Love the show every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's correct. (laughs) Correct question asking. Jameson just beams. The, the only other thing you can say is long-time listener, first-time caller, and then <laughs> <laughs> etiquette complete. <laughs> yep. Yep. Then you've done it. Uh, have you ever asked your manager to do an emergency hotfix on prod? <laughs> <laughs> you could barter these things. Like, I'll do your PowerPoint presentation if you will fix if this bug. If <laughs> you go on call <laughs> this weekend so I can sleep. <laughs> Now that is a good idea. Fair trade. <laughs> um, Actually, you don't want to do that because then you'll just have two problems. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I fixed that bug for you. <laughs> oh, crap. It turns out when I uh, deleted all this stuff, <laughs> then the server stopped crashing. <laughs> Emphasis on stopped. <laughs> it's way faster now, too. <laughs> oh, boy. So the first thing I have written down here is your job is to help the business succeed balanced against your own personal satisfaction. Like in that order? Uh, I don't know if there's an order between oh, no, those Oh, no, they're things. on either side of a teeter-totter, I think. Yeah, basically. Like you, you don't have to sacrifice your health or your family or whatever, but, but you are hired as a developer, but really like you're a developer so that you can help the business um, make money or succeed or whatever their goal is. That is so a good if there point. are other other things that you can do to help the business as long as it's within reason to me that doesn't seem horrible for them to ask of you yeah um i guess it gets down to efficiency issues where if there are other people that are way more efficient or if the fact that you're doing this instead of working on software things um ends up costing the the company more money then then maybe that's a problem or if you hate it too that's (laughs) that's a big problem yeah that goes back to the balance thing right yeah 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 that's a good point um if you hate it then then it will lower your personal satisfaction and you'll probably be bad at it too you'll be bad at it and you may even be bad at your other job which is writing code for the business Mm -hmm. right you're just fuming about all these powerpoints every time you write a semicolon yeah this semicolon reminds me of that powerpoint slide (laughs) oh all these trigger Um, words in your code yeah every everywhere you look you just see little little powerpoint slides <laughs> dave i feel like you've done a lot of this stuff in your career is that right <sighs> yes uh i have and um i feel like my career has been like a sawtooth function of moving toward like getting pulled magnetically toward non-technical stuff 
and then having to course correct and like force myself back or force the business to let me go back to just purely technical. And so like you consider like a sawtooth, it's like a, it's like a ramp upward and then a and then a vertical drop back down to technical and then another, followed by another steady ramp upward and then a vertical drop. And sometimes those vertical drops come from changing jobs and sometimes they come from just having a frank conversation with your leadership to say, look, I don't want to do this, you know? Um, well, sometimes they come from a more subtle conversation, like, for example, hey, do you think it's good for me to spend about, I don't know, 20 hours a week working on PowerPoint presentations? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then somebody loses their mind, like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is this is really visible to me right now as a as a freelancer where I'm I'm hourly, mm-hmm. and my hourly rate is the same no matter what I'm doing, and sometimes I do stuff that isn't directly like typing code into a computer. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a lot easier for the business to balance, like, is it worth it when it directly costs them money oh, to do yeah. it? And and sometimes it is worth it because the context of that that's in my head means it would take longer for me to tell someone else that is a specialist to do that and then get it back to me and kind of coordinate that. But um, point. but sometimes that that isn't worth it. I've I've had the experience not as a freelancer, but as just a regular employee of this being actually quite beneficial for me to be able to get the full picture of how the business operates. Back when I was a government contractor, it was probably about 10 years ago, um, I was frequently called upon to answer requests for proposals, write uh, statements of work, and other things that are pretty business heavy, even though they do have a technical slant to them. And they took a lot of time. And I remember thinking to myself, if I had to do this like for 50% of my time, I would definitely not want to do it. And then, in, you know, after a couple of years go by, I look back and I'm like, you know what? That was time well spent. And I definitely, uh, it definitely helped my career in the sense that, um, you know, leadership knew that I was a team player. And I think they compensated me as a result of that a little better because it's like, well, he doesn't just hide at his desk and write code. We can actually, you know, utilize him for more than just cranking out code. Like his code is great, but he can also do all this extra stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, done well, this can multiply the effect you can have on a team and a company if you can communicate well and communicate well to non-technical people, which it sounds like these presentations are mm-hmm. uh, to non-technical people. Yeah, I think so. It sounds like it. So if you don't hate it, if you're interested in leadership things, I agree that this can definitely help you. Um, if you just write code in in a corner, uh, like we talked about last week, it's hard for people to notice that sometimes. And just the ability to tell people what's going on can can mean that the technical work you do has a much larger impact. Now, I will say this about my other, my little story I was saying is that the other side of that coin is that while, yes, it did help me to grow and make decent money and understand the business, ultimately it did end to me, it did result in me leaving that company. It was a major factor. <laughs> no, like I'm serious. No. Like it was like a, a pretty, it wasn't the only reason, but I did eventually leave. And the the main thing I was going to when I left that company was to have a more technically focused day job. You know, like I can come to work, write a whole bunch of code, feel great about new product that I'm building and not have to spend hours and hours digging through gigantic documents and stuff. Now th- this um, is, oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. That's all. Train of thought has arrived in the station. Okay. <laughs> it's safe and sound. <laughs> Did not get derailed. Good. Sometimes we have issues where I will 
throw, I don't know what I do. I explode the bridge that Dave's train of thought <laughs> is driving over. And it choo choos like right into the ground. One of those like old timey uh, detonators, you know, with yep. the like T shaped thing you press down. Uh huh. <laughs> train of thought dead. <laughs> I think I just killed my own train. No, I got it. I got it back. Okay. So, how do you prevent that as a teammate? Um, mm-hmm. So, it's pretty clear what you did. You were like, well, I can't do anything different here and I want to do something different. So, I'm going to go get a different job. Uh, shout out to soft skills engineering from, (laughs) from the past. (laughs) It's our (laughs) go-to. Yep. Uh, but what if, what if you're a manager and I mean, I bet your manager was kind of like surprised like, Oh, see you, Dave. I didn't, I don't know. Did, did, did your manager know that you were unhappy and you wanted to switch? Did you have teammates that knew? Was there something that could have changed to, to keep you there? Um, I think this was the case where it was like, they just didn't have the people to do those jobs Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean they had them maybe in some capacity but like I said it wasn't the only factor and I think I I don't remember if I had talked to them but I I think I had it has been a long time now but I think I had I had given them a chance to try to change things up a little bit well maybe Um, instead of thinking about that specific case I mean what would you do in general if if you are on a team or leading a team and you you suspect this might be going on with someone I, I am so much wiser now Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so much wisdom. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> what I would do now is, first of all, I would make it really clear to my leadership how much time I'm actually spending on these things. And when you do that exercise, you may find that you've actually over-quantified it in your own mind sometimes. Be like, look, when I averaged this out over six months, it was only like an hour a week, you know? And even though it was a really painful hour... <laughs> You might, you might realize it's no big deal. Or you might come to the opposite conclusion and say, hey, I'm actually spending a lot of time on this stuff. And my leadership needs to know that they're paying an engineer at engineering rates to do engineering, but not getting you know, code out of this engineer or not getting product out of this engineer. Mm-hmm. And then tell your manager, just be like, look, I just, you know, just want you to know as my manager, you should know I'm spending 50% of my time doing PowerPoint slides with our fundraising team, you know, with the, for the board or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure they're aware of it because at the end of the day, if they continue to choose it, that's very different from, oh, I just, I didn't even realize that was happening, you know, because sometimes there'll be like 10 business people that all tap you on the shoulder independently, but the business as a whole doesn't realize that they're all doing that, you know? Yeah. So awareness is number one that I would do. Yeah, that's a great point. And if if you are um, a teammate of a person that this is happening to, that's a great, or, or a manager of a person this is happening to, then... That's yeah. a great argument for like one-on-ones or stand-ups because then you get some exposure to like, hey, today I'm going to do whatever this business person <laughs> tells me to do for this emergency meeting. And it kind of illuminates it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And teammates can do a really good job of this. Like you may think, oh, I'm not a manager. It's not my problem. But sometimes management doesn't know. And there's weird dynamics that can happen to make uh, make it hard to tell a manager yourself. So if you see it in a teammate, um, I would pass it along. And I've got a little story about this. About, Please this do. Has been, this has been quite a few years, uh, but I w- just went to lunch with a teammate once and I asked him about something about his personal life. It was just, you know, peers talking. And it came out that he was actually pretty disgruntled by having been basically on call for like two straight years. <laughs> you know, like he had basically never huh. been off off the on-call rotation. And I was like, I don't think our leaders know that. And so I mentioned it to our leaders and they were like oh 
oh boy, <laughs> we need to fix that. You know, it, just, it for some reason it hadn't come up. Probably no fault of this engineer's. Um, sometimes these things just happen and you know, nobody really realizes what's going on. But you can raise that up. So if you see one of your peers being buried by PowerPoints, it's a lot easier for you to go and be like, hey, you know, Fred's getting destroyed by all these PowerPoints. I just want you to know, <laughs> you know? And sometimes it, that makes it easier for Fred because now he doesn't have to go and be like, I hate PowerPoints. You know, that's how you feel sometimes. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. It can be easier to like defend your teammate than, than mm -hmm. for the teammate to feel like they're uh, complaining Maybe we should talk about the emergency part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That sounds weird to me that you're getting emergency requests for PowerPoints. Um, what do you think about that, Dave? I think that quarterly board meetings can just really sneak up. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. like Christmas shopping, right? You know, it's like, I know it comes the same day every year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I'm still blindsided. I what? organize a meetup. It is the first Thursday of every month and it has been for years. And man, sometimes that first Thursday is is just real surprising. <laughs> Sneaky. It happened again. Shoot. Wait, so are we def are we defending the emergency status now on oh, accident? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we are. I think we switched to that. Don't don't make it an emergency. <laughs> yeah. There uh if there are emergency funding meetings, your business is probably like dying <laughs> and that indicates scary things oh boy well i mean what else could it be it could be pro procrastination yeah it could be it <laughs> could know. be someone else's emergency and then they are making it your emergency oh almost definitely that's the case here i'm gonna i'm just gonna guess that based on the air quotes yeah okay yeah that's true that communicates something <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, and that's actually a good thing to ask your leadership about hey why was this an emergency you mm -hmm. know and maybe there's a good answer for it, but probably not, you know, and and maybe that would elevate this up to the organization so that it can get introspective and say, oh, yeah, we really should probably put in a, a put in place a plan to prepare for these quarterly board meetings or whatever it is that's causing these emergencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can help to raise that awareness, I think. Sure. And then and then as your reward, you get invited to these meetings where you prepare PowerPoint presentations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> now instead of a last minute emergency that takes a couple hours, it'll take weeks. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Dave, I know you, you kind of wanted to talk about um, how this can sort of happen to you on accident and what you can yeah. do about it. So I think... I think that sometimes when engineers get called upon to do this kind of stuff, it can be a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it can propel your career forward. You can learn more about the business. You can be a team player in a bigger way and get great recognition, and that can all be good. But also, uh, there, are, there are whole groups of people, I think, that get marginalized into doing things like this because they don't fit a certain stereotype or mold for a typical software engineer. You know, like... Oh yeah, this person they uh they smile and they look at you in the eyes. You know, they should be doing more powerpoints and less coding. You know, suddenly you think that because they don't fit the mold of the geeked out nerdy their bad personal hygiene, hygiene is yeah. just eerily good. <laughs> yeah. They smell so great. Why are they writing code? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But like they know rules so you... about fashion that you did not even know existed. 
<laughs> so they clearly can't be an engineer, right? Yeah. And, and so we have this stereotyping problem in our industry, and people who don't fit that stereotype sometimes get marginalized into roles that allow their technical skills to languish. And in those situations, it's very difficult because now you are up against a rock and a hard place. Because on the one hand, you want to be a team player, right? And on the other hand, you also want to be a great engineer. And so you risk um, raising this issue and being seen as not a team player. So honestly, I don't think I have a great answer for how to cope with this, but other than the nuclear option, which we always talk about, yeah, <laughs> you know, change jobs, find someone who will appreciate you and not marginalize you. Um, if you have a leader that you really trust in the organization, um, and I mean, this takes a lot of trust because it's a scary thing. It's a scary position to put yourself in. You could tell them, I think, I think I'm getting marginalized here, you know? And if you feel safe expressing that and you think the organization is healthy enough to be able to respond positively, that's an option. But it's hard. Yeah, I I don't know what to do because uh, I, I, I am through no fault of my own lucky enough to fit like the stereotype of an engineer. I'm like a white dude it's, with a beard, right? Like, and it's the hygiene thing mostly. Yeah. <laughs> That has been a struggle for me, having having coping with the the pushback I get on good hygiene. Uh, we all have our burdens to bear. But oh gosh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, this this isn't a problem I experience, but I know other people experience it. Yes. So I don't I don't want to sound like I'm giving advice because I I don't know. I don't yeah. I don't know what it actually feels like. Uh, I know um, that. I feel a responsibility as someone who who probably won't experience this kind of marginalization to to help out. Mm -hmm. And if I, I I wonder if you can identify, we talked about teammates being yeah. able to help out there. If you can identify yes. a teammate, um, that might even be a little easier than identifying a, a manager that you trust. And and yes, then you can kind of uh, make a plan maybe together with that person. But yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, that. So you find someone with really bad hygiene. <laughs> thick thick rimmed glasses and have them go to bat for you <laughs> yes the the i'm the, only half joking i don't know for sure the plus 10 bo armor of <laughs> developer <laughs> charisma or whatever oh. it is I, this is a case where i would love to hear from listeners who are developers who have been marginalized and hear what they did because i think that much like the getting fired stories that we've had so many people share with us i think this would be a great thing for people to share with each other you know like i was marginalized in this way for these reasons and here's what i did to cope with it i would love to hear those stories sure because i do believe it's a real problem in our industry oh for sure for sure it is and it it's really visible to the people that struggle with it and it can be kind of invisible to the the yes. people that fit the mold it absolutely can to the point that when people report this happening to them, sometimes the people who do fit the mold say, "No, that's not happening." Yeah, like you're you're imagining. Oh, that. this person would never do that. I I know them. They wouldn't do that kind of thing. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, right? yeah, anyway. it's it's tricky. So the last thing I want to say on this topic is that it's a vicious cycle because once you get marginalized into doing uh, non-technical stuff, well, guess what happens to your technical skills? Like they they weaken, right? Like of course. And so then people are like, well, it's a good thing we had them do all those PowerPoints because <laughs> they're clearly not a good developer. And it's like, well, you take any developer and make them do PowerPoints for enough time and their brains will turn to mush anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So 
we we talked about a lot of stuff here. I think I I don't mind this kind of stuff that much as long as it feels like it's producing value and it's within reason. I I get the impression, Dave, that you don't hate it either. Yep. Um, yeah. So, in, in moderation. Yeah, yeah. In moderation, it can kind of spice up the the Jira grind or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Some people totally hate it, and you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to do work that you just hate. Yeah. So I, I guess just be intentional about it. Like like all things with your career, if you can think about what makes you happy and and what gets you towards your goals, then you'll do better overall. Totally agreed. That should go on a motivational poster without the <laughs> without the stuttering part. But <laughs> that's just, the beauty of written text. Yeah, All the stutters get I automatically edited out. Edit that up and then show it up <laughs> on Facebook and it'll be great. <laughs> All right, Jameson. What can people do if they want to support our show? It's actually they, not our show. It's your show. Listeners. Yeah. How can you help yourself? Well, there are a few ways. You can go subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Even if you don't listen on iTunes, it still puts us higher in these podcast rankings, which directly correlates with, um, you know how in the Grinch, his heart grows three sizes when he gets like a (laughs) hug or something? That's what happens to us. Every time someone subscribes and writes a review and gives a rating, Dave's heart grows three sizes. Because right now it's three sizes too small. Yep. (laughs) uh yeah it'll help other people find us it'll help it'll help us help you even more actually the fact is we we honestly don't know <laughs> how it helps us but so many other podcasts say to do it that That's we true. think you should do it listen here too. <laughs> i hear npr podcasts say that and i trust those people <laughs> yep <laughs> they know what they're doing so they i'll just blindly follow them and they're all rich <laughs> yeah that's true they made all that money in public radio so that public radio money. <laughs> oh, it's that big public radio money. Yeah. Uh, if you like the show, you can share it with your friends. You can uh, tweet about it. We've we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of nice tweets about it. Yeah. Um, we are, the the website is softskills.audio if you want to link to individual episodes or you want to give mm-hmm. somebody a link to go find out about it. Um, we would love to get more questions from you. You can direct mm-hmm. message us on Twitter at softskillseng if you want to keep it secret. Uh, or you can just add mm-hmm. us on Twitter if if you don't mind if it's a public question. And um, also, we are looking for sponsors. You are amazing and smart and handsome and brilliant and all the other good words. And uh, <laughs> I think there's a great audience for people that sponsors might be interested in reaching. So if your company makes things that you want these smart people to know about or if you're hiring, uh, please get in touch and, and we'd love to talk about that. Well, thanks for tuning in for another show. And we'll catch you next week.